Hello, and welcome to another episode of Boundless Body Radio. I'm your host, Casey Ruff, and today we have another amazing guest to introduce to you now. Jeremy Schneider is a successful entrepreneur, skilled software developer, and personal finance expert. He founded RentLinks in 2004 and profitably grew it with no outside funding until successfully exiting with an acquisition by Appfolio in 2015. Jeremy also co-founded What's That Charge and was named one of Crane Detroit businesses 20 in their 20s, a list of 20-somethings making a difference in Metro Detroit. Jeremy left Appfolio in 2017 and went on to start Personal Finance Club, a financial literacy company, and co-founded Nickel, a machine learning platform. His financial course, available on his website at personalfinanceclub.com, is one of the most educational financial courses that I have ever taken in my life. In his free time, Jeremy enjoys the outdoors, playing beach volleyball, and writing website bios about himself in the third person, which I didn't need to include in this intro, but I thought it was funny, so I did anyway. (laughs) Jeremy Schneider, welcome to Boundless Body Radio. Hey, thanks, Casey. He read my bio. I appreciate it. <laughs> Absolutely. You mentioned before we got on that it's a little bit dated, the 20s and in, in your 20s. You look like you're in your 20s, but you are 41. So it's been a minute since you won that yeah. award. That's pretty cool. Thank, yeah, uh, I know. I like wrote that bio a while ago and I keep adding to it, but I guess I should probably start deleting from it because I am not, not only am I now in my 20s, I missed my entire 30s too. I should have a... <laughs> Made some sort of 40 year old award. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> there you go. And you had to um, escape Detroit to play beach volleyball. Is that correct? I don't think there's a lot of beach volleyball going on in Detroit. Uh, there is in the summer. Um, yeah, there's like great, great volleyball in Michigan in the summer. Um, but yeah, there's, there's about a tough eight months, you know, between around October to the following May or so, where it's pretty hard to get on the beach. And so my buddy and I were flying out to San Diego to play for a couple of winters. And then, uh, yeah, we just decided to move here. That's awesome. I love that. Detroit's a pretty cool town. I was there a few years ago. It was actually the last year um, that the Wings played in the Joe Louis Arena, and I got to see a Wings-Penguins game. Pretty cool. Did you grow up in that area in, the, in Michigan? Yeah. So, you know, if I'm not in Michigan, I'll say I'm from Detroit. But if you're in Michigan, I would say I'm from, you know, the suburb of Detroit because, like, the city itself and, like, the surrounding areas are, are pretty different. Like, the city is you know, I'm 40, so I've seen like all sorts of like rises and falls of Detroit, but it's definitely had some rough times. Um, and yeah, I'm from like one of the suburbs and most recently, or more recently spent 12 years in Ann Arbor, which is kind of its own little town, about 45 minutes outside of Detroit. Mm, Gotcha. When did finance become an interest of yours? You know, like it was a progression at first. Like when I was 17, I opened up my first Roth IRA with the help of my dad and kind of like, it was the first time I like saw the opportunity for money to make more money, but, you know, didn't really get it necessarily. And then in college, I kind of did some like stupid, you know, I think E-Trade was kind of like the Robin Hood of, of my day. Um, and so I opened up an E-Trade account, which is like randomly buying and selling stocks without really any clue what I was doing. Um, and then um, over the years, I started learning more and was like helping other, my other friends open up Roth IRAs. And then when I sold my company, when I was 34, I suddenly had $2 million in the bank after being, you know, pretty broke my entire adult life. And I really didn't want to, you know, be one of those stories where a garbage man wins a lottery and then becomes a garbage man again. And so I just started reading every book I could on, on investing. I realized I was like, Oh, like all these books say the exact same thing. And like all the nonsense you hear out in the world, just like pop culture, media, you know, from friends, all that's just nonsense and like proper ideal, optimal investing is actually pretty simple. Um, and so then when I, um, you know, when I quit my job, it kind of became unemployed slash retired at the age of 36. Um, it's just 
it was just like my passion. I just really loved it. I liked helping friends with it. Anytime I could talk about it, I like talking about it. And so that's why I kind of started my, my new, uh, my new passion project, personal finance club. Well, I have followed that for quite a while on Instagram and recently decided to buy your course, which I mentioned in the intro. It's very, very good. Very well done. I've learned a lot. And, you know, I've reached out to a few people in finances, personal financing, um, and asked them whether they'd want to be guests of the show. And a lot of them have turned me down and said, well, your show is kind of about health and fitness, not necessarily about finances. In your opinion, can you divorce being wealthy, having wealth with physical health? Um, I mean, it's probably one of those things that's like very highly correlated. Right. Um, and is it causative? Probably also. Yes. But you don't see a lot of like in the extreme examples, like super, super fit, healthy homeless people. Right. Like if you don't have, I mean, I don't mean to like make light of that, but if you don't have the basic necessities to like have access to healthy food and have access to like uh, a safe place to sleep. Like you're not going to be physically very healthy, um, you know? And then on the other side of the spectrum, like when you can like go to whole foods and buy organic and you can, you know, access all the medical and everything else you need, like, you know, money plays a massive part in the, you know, the role of our, our health, like it or not. Um, and not that you can't be more healthy on like a, a budget or whatever, but, um, yeah, getting, getting your money orders is definitely going to help the process. I think. Mm. Yeah. I've been in places in my life where I haven't had my finances in order. And I would say that that was not a very healthy place to be in a lot of anxiety and stress. Um, was it your goal always to retire early when you started your companies? Yeah. You know, I went to college from 98 to 03. Like that's kind of like, you know, my freshman, sophomore, junior year were like the peak of the dot-com, the original dot-com boom. Like maybe we're in a second dot-com boom. I don't know. Um, and then, and so, you know, I was a little too young to really take advantage of, but I would see people just like, you know, falling backwards into millions of dollars. And I was like, I should do that. And so that was definitely like the dream is to start a company and sell it. Um, but, you know, I, I kind of got introduced to the, the FIRE world, which stands for Financial Independence Retire Early kind of after I retired, you know, when I started learning more about um, personal finance and investing, there's like this whole world of people who just don't subscribe to 65 being the retirement age. They say, why, you know, why is 65? Why this number that a government or whatever has, has prescribed? Why not just solve money like on your own and retire as soon as you don't need to work anymore because you've like figured out how to like, you know, get enough money and get it working for you. Um, so yeah, I'd say that was kind of a goal, but, but not quite in the fire context as it is today. Mm, gotcha. And your goal with retirement, like, I think a lot of people think of retirement as I, I don't work my job anymore. So now I'm going to sit by the beach all day and not do anything. Can you kind of describe what your post-retirement experience has been like? Yeah. I mean, the word retire is such like a, a buzzword. It's kind of, you know, I literally just put it like on my bio just to like, you know, be a little bit, uh, divisive or, or you know, catch people's attention or whatever. Um, but I'd say like, it's very hard to call me retired at this very moment. I'm actually starting two different companies, which is like kind of the opposite of being retired. Um, <laughs> but you know, what, what, what I think really matters is the other half of fire, which is financial independence. You know, I'm at a point now where like, I don't have to do anything I don't want to do 
for the reason of money, right? And a lot of people, you know, most people, I think money is like the primary tension in their life. You know, if they they had a little bit more money, they could get a better place or they could have that wedding they wanted. Or, you know, it's like always money is this one constricting factor that like, that colors everything. Like once you like get past that hump and you say, okay, between my frugality and like my budget and how I've like decided to live my life and how much money I have and how it's working for me, now, like money is solved. It kind of like opens up your options. Like, okay, don't want to work at your job, then quit. You know, want to start a company, then do it. You know, want to have a wedding, then have it. You know, um, and it doesn't mean you can spend infinitely because then you've kind of like blown your financial independence, but it does like remove move finances as that tension in your life, which is kind of where I am. Mm, yeah, that's great. Um, one of our podcast guests told us if you if you think you you don't need more money, you haven't given enough yet. Meaning that like one of the best things you can do when you're earning a lot of money is is share it with people. What's your experience been like with that? Uh, I mean, that's a huge like factor in my own life. I love giving. Um, you know, it's been. In fact, I just gave a talk at the economy conference. Uh, I think it was a week ago, like last or like eight days ago, last Saturday. And the whole topic was, um, you know, building wealth through giving. Um, and just throughout my life, I've found that like the more giving you are, or the this like abundance mindset, it actually helps growth. You know, I think a lot of people, especially in like the financial world, have kind of like a um, scarcity mindset, like, oh, if I, if I give something away, I'll have less. But like, I look at it the other way. It's like, if I, you know, give something away, I want to think how much can I give away? So, you know, my at personal finance club, we actually give away 20% of our, of our sales to charity, not profits, like actually 20% off the top, which, um, you know, could make us not profitable if we, if we don't have big enough margins or whatever, but, um, but I like it. And so instead of being like, oh, I'm only left with 80%, I think how big can I make this 20%? And in, in the first year, you know, I started, you know, the course you mentioned, I, I started it just about a year ago in October of 2020, kind of bored during the pandemic, sitting in my living room. And I just was like, I'll throw together this video course. You know, I was considering giving it away for free, but I decided to charge kind of like a nominal amount just so that like people feel like, you know, like they, they want to finish it and feel like they've got some skin in the game or whatever. In the first year, we've made over $600,000 selling this course. Wow. And, and so, so 20% of that is 120 grand. And so we're writing like 20 and $30,000 checks, like just right off the top. It's crazy. Um, but I think it helps. You know, I, I think it helps not only like is good for the world and makes me feel good about like what I'm doing and being engine for good. But like, I also talk about it and say, Hey, like what we're doing here isn't just to be like corporate fat cats trying to like squeeze people for every penny they're worth. It's like part of just like being a good citizen of the world and, and, you know, helping give back. Man, I love that. I love that. You you are so effective in that course of educating, you know, people like me who need to learn a little bit more about this. For somebody who, you know, maybe maybe like me, I think I've experienced a lot of resistance to investing in particular. Why is investing so important and why do we experience so much resistance, you know, learning about it and and jumping in? Investing is like this crazy buzzword because when you hear about it, when you dip your toe into the investing world for the first time, there's like images of, you know, day traders on wall street, like frantically waving white pieces of paper and like pork belly futures and crypto and Forex <laughs> and like, you know, all this stuff. And it's like, and, and this, it almost just like feels like slimy and feels like a scam. And, and it's definitely terrifying. And, and it feels like there needs to be like this massive amount of knowledge to even compete. And that there's someone who knows more who's going to take advantage of you. Um, and like all that is kind of right, but but once you like realize what investing really is, everything I just, everything I just described is actually 
nonsense. I'd say it's not even investing. I say it's speculating. And I think people often confuse speculating and investing. Speculating is this like high paced game of like guessing and choosing what's going to go up and buying and selling and getting in and out. But that's all, that's all gambling. and It's all nonsense. Investing is the following. It's buying something that has value, that's likely to go up in value and provide income and then just holding it, just simply owning it for a very long time. That's what investing is. It's just buying things. So like, you know, buying a boat is not investing because boats plummet in value and they don't provide an income. But if you buy like a rental house, rental homes generally go up in value with real estate and they provide income when you accept rent. So when you just like buy the house that's right next to your house and put renters in there and, you know, collect rent, you're an investor. And, and that's all investing is. And so I think it's scary to people because um, they, they think of the world of speculating, which is a like scary gambling, bad world. And they, the simpler, like, and, and not only is it simpler, but it's actually better because it's how people actually get rich. Like all the speculation is just like noise that people are trying to take your money. Um, and you know, and of course my favorite way to invest is in the stock market through an index fund, or instead of buying a rental property next door to you, you just buy every company in the world. And then as those companies profit and pay dividends, you collect them and you just own them. You don't pick and choose. You don't get in and out. You don't buy and sell. You just own. And so, yeah, that's why it's scary. And uh, I, I don't, yeah, I don't fault you for being hesitant because, you know, like everybody is, and we don't learn this and nothing is um, obvious. You know, we don't, it's not like common sense or anything. And so you kind of need someone who's like been in the mud a little bit and be like, yeah, don't worry about all this shit, guys. It's all nonsense. Just do it the simple way. Hmm, Interesting. I just remember like when I was working at the gym, we would always have CNBC on and it would just scream, scream at you all day, like big red numbers or big green numbers. It seems like, you know, the stock market specifically is so volatile. It goes up, it goes down. Can you explain why that's actually not the case? Yeah, that's not true. And, you know, seeing, you know, you know, that's, that's what you just said is totally true. Like everyone thinks the stock market's this yo-yo, it's up and it's down, it's up and it's down. How are you going to know? It's just random, blah, blah, blah. Like that's, that's not true. And, you know, CNBC and all these like financial talking heads, they're all, they're all just like, they're just more nonsense, you know, because they're just, they're in the business of like getting you to watch tomorrow. But like investing isn't about today versus tomorrow. Investing is about today versus like, 20 years from now. And it's about building wealth over the time. And, you know, people don't get rich in a day. Investors don't get rich in a day. Like, you know, Warren Buffett, a famous stat about him is like, I think 99% of his wealth, he built after the age of 55 or something like that, you know, because like we think of like, Oh, Warren Buffett, brilliant investor. But like, he didn't just like get rich when he was 25. He didn't like watch CNBC. If it even existed back then, I don't think it did. And then just like day trade and get rich. You know, he just like, slowly accumulated wealth. And it's like a snowball over time. It gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And the longer you go, the bigger it gets and the faster it gets too. Um, And so, yeah, this mental model of the the stock market being like a yo-yo actually isn't correct. The better mental model is like a yo-yo as you're walking up a set of stairs. So imagine like yo-yoing and and walking up a set of stairs. And sometimes as you step up, the yo-yo is going up and it feels like it's shooting up. And sometimes you step up, the yo-yo is going down and it looks like a crash. But by the time you get to like the top of one flight, even the crash is way higher than the, the top of the, the yo-yo at the beginning of the flight, right? And it turns out that we can't really predict these individual yo-yo ups and downs, but we do know that the stock market is constantly collecting the sum total of the profits and innovation and growth of the global economy. And so when you just own that and you ignore the yo-yo part and you're on the ride for the stairs part, then it doesn't matter. And, and you know, CNBC never has big green headlines being like 
the market continues to produce 10% annual average returns over decades because that's not, you know, that's not news. It's always true. And they're in the, and they're in the business of like having this like exciting predict what's going to happen tomorrow thing. In fact, just yesterday, someone was like, Jeremy, like, how can you, how can you suggest people invest today? Like we're at an all time high or whatever. And I like, I said, we've been at all time highs for the last 140 years. The market just always goes up. And, and he's like, no, he's like, no, people on YouTube, this guy literally said this to me, people on YouTube are all saying we're in a bubble. I was like, I was like, go search what people are saying on YouTube in 2014, which was seven years ago. And then he, to his credit, he literally did. And he came back with like a CNBC clip or something that said, the market's about to crash because this, because the government's going to stop pumping money into the thing and blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, you know what's happened 2014? There's a, there's a record high. 2015, record high. 2016, record high. 17, record high. 18, record high. 19, record high. 2020, we had a global pandemic. If I knew that, I probably would have sold. If I knew that ahead of time, I probably would have sold. But even I would have been wrong because the market, 2020, record high again. And now we're in 2021, record high. And so, you know, that's just, that's the staircase. It's just like always going. And yeah, there's some years where we don't have record high. They're like, you know, 2022, I don't know. Might We might be down next year. I don't know. But, you know, we're not investing from this year to next year. You know, you're not going to get rich in a year. You're going to get rich over, over decades. Sorry, I talk a lot. I just get really pumped about this stuff. <laughs> Dude, you're the guest. You should talk a lot. I love it. That stairway analogy is so good. You know, besides wrapping my brain around trying to yo-yo while walking upstairs, I totally would trip, fall, and die. That's a really great analogy and a great way to look at it. In your course, you do such a great job of explaining some of these things. And, and I, I don't think it's apparently obvious to people, at least it wasn't for me, with the difference between buying a stock versus buying a bond versus buying something like you mentioned, an index fund. Can you go into a little bit of detail of the differences between those things? Yeah. So I have this concept called the layers of investing because all these terms are very confusing. It's like Vanguard, brokerage account, Roth IRA, 401k, index fund, mutual fund, ETF, stock, bond, like what's better? Um, and it turns out like all those words I just said are actually different layers in this like onion that is like the onion of investing. And at its core of the onion, the thing that actually makes you money are stocks and bonds. That's like what you invest in. And a stock, you know, I don't want to spend like two hours. Like my, 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 my course is like seven hours where I like do, do, do break it all down, but I'll try, I'll try to be like relatively brief here. So a stock is like basically buying a little piece of a company. So you can like buy a piece of Apple. And as the company of Apple goes up in value and provides dividends, you get to collect those dividends, cash deposit to your account, and you can sell Apple for more than you bought for, hopefully later. Um, and then bonds are kind of similar thing, except instead of buying ownership, you're loaning money out and collecting the interest payments from that. But um, stocks and bonds are like what you buy. That's how you make money from investing. It's like buying these things that, like I said, go up in value and provide income. That's what stocks and bonds are. But stocks and bonds... Uh, for various reasons, aren't really great to buy individually because that kind of gets more into the speculating world. Like, which stocks do you buy? Do you get in or get out? And so, and it's also, you know, logistically complex to try to buy 500 different stocks. It's too expensive to buy all these, you know, for all these reasons, you don't want to buy individual stocks. So there's this container that stocks go inside of called a mutual fund. And a mutual fund is basically just like a nice container that holds like maybe tens or thousands of stocks. And an index fund is just a type of mutual fund that has like the very low fees and buys the entire market. And like, you know, I love index funds. Um, and so, yeah, so that's why, that's the way I like to buy stocks. Instead of buying individual stocks, you buy them in the, in the package of stocks called an index fund, which gives you all the stocks. 
But an index fund can't just exist out there in a void. It has to go somewhere. So it goes inside of an account. And these investment accounts have all sorts of different names. The basic one is just called a brokerage account, where if you, you've got a checking account or a savings account with Bank of America, but then you could go to like Vanguard or Fidelity or Schwab and open up a brokerage account. And that is, that's where, where you hold your index fund, which holds your stocks. And then there's all these other fancy named accounts that have special tax breaks, like a Roth IRA, a 401k, 403b, TSP, 457. You might have some of those through your work or something like that. But basically, all those are just brokerage accounts with maybe different rules about when you pay tax on them. And inside of that brokerage account goes your index fund. And inside your index fund are your stocks. And then on the outside of this onion, the thing that the uh, account goes in is your actual brokerage website. And so this is like Vanguard or Fidelity or Schwab. You basically need to go to a website to open this account, to buy an index fund, which contains your stocks. Um, and so I think that's like the layers that often confuse people. People often say, what's better, an index fund or a Roth IRA? And my answer is that question doesn't make sense because that's saying like, what's better for running socks or shoes? Like you, you need both. You put your foot in the sock, you put your sock in the shoe, and then the shoe goes on the ground. And so you, you have the Roth IRA, you put the index fund in the Roth IRA, and then the stocks go in the index fund. Um, so they're just different layers. They're not really like better or worse. Gotcha. Interesting. I, yeah, it's so fascinating. I, I never, I never understood that you could buy the entire market. Are you literally buying every single stock when you invest in in, in an index account? Um, almost. You know, the answer is like. The answer is functionally or, or effectively yes, but exactly not quite. So, um, you know, public, you know, there, there's so many publicly traded stocks. So, if you buy, for example, VTSAX, which is Vanguard's total stock market index fund, you can like look inside and they make this publicly available. There's like 3,500 stocks in there, which is basically all the stocks of note in the US. But all the time, there are stocks like coming in out of business, like little tiny penny stocks, like, you know, really random, you know, there's, there's, there's like the, the very, very long tail of like tiny companies that maybe are shady or sketchy or going in and out of business or whatever at the very end, those probably aren't included in an index fund, but also those represent such a tiny percentage of the value that it's like rounding error, right? You know, so the, so the to total tradable value of the, you know, the U S stock market is whatever it is, trillions of dollars or whatever. Um, you know, an index fund is going to represent 99.99999% of that because the little tiny ones that don't make it in there just don't matter. Hmm. So then you are just betting that the entire economy is going to grow over time, which it has done very consistently. If you look at it in a long enough scale and also the way a capitalist, you know, government works, like it's based on more growth, everything growing year over year over year for the for that index fund to fail, to grow, wouldn't the economy like completely crash? So I, I would like take issue with the word betting there because, um, you know, it's not really a bet. It's, it's just getting back to that core of investing, which is just buying something that provides income and goes up in value. So let's say, for example, as of today, you know, late 2021, um, the economy never grows again. Still buying an index fund would be good because you know what the you know what the market's going to do. It's going to profit. You know when you look out your window, I'm looking at a window right now, and I see UPS trucks drive by, and I see like Southwest Airlines fl fl planes fly over, and I see cars driving by with Exxon Mobil gas. Like all those companies, just to 
just to have every one of us live another day and eat another food and have a house overhead, all those companies are profiting. And so when you own those companies, they pay those profits back to you. So like, let's say the share price never changes again. You still just get money just for owning it um, because that's what happens as an owner. You get, it's what's called dividends. And um, you know, in a very speculative situation like Tesla or something, um, you know, they're not paying profits because they don't have any profits yet. And so you're basically betting that they are growing. Um, but in a, like a mature industry like AT&T, for example, AT&T basically has succumbed to the fact that they're not going to quadruple in size because they basically sold everything that they can, but they still profit really well because everyone's paying them money. And so just by owning AT&T, I think they pay like a five or six or 7% per year dividend just for owning it. And so when you look at a savings account today and you see it's paying like 0.05% or something, why not just own AT&T stock? Um, but you know, but you wouldn't own just AT&T stock because maybe AT&T gets beat by Verizon, yada, yada. And so that's why you buy a an index fund because it owns all the stocks. And so yeah, it's not really a bet that the market is going to, the economy is going to keep growing. Although I suspect that it is because there's such things as innovation and population growth and, and uh, new technologies and companies continuing to, you know, improve their processes and efficiency and yada, yada, yada. There's all, all kinds of reasons why, you know, the market's, just, you know, the economy is not going to just hit a brick wall, but even if it did, you know, you still get those dividends. So that's why I like just to yeah, buy index funds. Hmm. Interesting. The dividends thing is really interesting to me. I didn't know a lot about that before your course. I just always imagined that you put money into an account that you can't ever like touch or benefit from until you turn a certain age and like most of your life is already gone. Um, do, do those dividends pay like a pretty significant amount of somebody's income if you invest enough? Yeah. I mean, right now I could live off of my dividends forever. Um, you know, and it depends on like, you know, like I said, AT&D is like in the five or 6% range, Tesla pays zero. So different companies pay different percent dividends relative to the money you put in. Um, but that's like a big part of the growth of a, of an investment. And what you just described, like putting money away, not being able to touch it. That really is more like relegated to retirement accounts, which are great because they offer like huge tax breaks and they're a good thing to take advantage of. But you can just put your money into a regular old brokerage account and it's just like a savings account, but, and you can take it in and out whenever you want and you can do whatever you want with it. Um, and you can get your dividends every time they pay. Um, you know, the, the only downside to that is that you just don't get the tax break, but also your savings account doesn't have a tax break. So I think, I think people get so focused on these retirement accounts that they like, they forget or don't even realize that you can just open up a regular old brokerage account, just like a regular old savings account. But then instead of having your money sitting, getting 0.05%, you can collect dividends and use them immediately. Um, you know, like I said, investing is a long-term game. So I don't think you should necessarily like put a thousand bucks in a brokerage account and then try to spend it a, a week later. If you're going to spend it that soon, it, being in cash is better. Um, but don't let the fear of having that money locked away, like prevent you from even starting that, that like process of the compound growth and the snowball rolling down the hill, because that's where you're going to like see a lot of wealth over time. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit more about compounding wealth? I think that's, um, you know, as you've alluded to, so critical and important to really kind of understand for somebody who doesn't really consider that. Can you kind of break that down a little bit more? Sure. So like if you save 500 bucks a month, at the end of a year, you'll have 6,000 bucks. Um, if you invest 500 bucks a month, and let's say you get a 10% return, 
Uh, that's like a 10% growth rate. At the end of the year, you have your 500 bucks times 12 is 6,000 plus 10% of that growth is 6,600, which sounds fine. You know, 600 free bucks is nice. Um, you know, 10% of that 6,000, but it's definitely not like life-changing. But if you do that over the course of 40 years, you'll have saved $240,000. So 500 bucks times 12 months times 40 years is $240,000. But you don't end up with 240 or 300 or $500,000. You end up with almost $3 million. And the reason is because of this magic of compound growth. Every year that goes by, not only are you saving more money, but you're getting paid interest on all the money you've ever saved. So that, you know, in the first year I talked about you having $6,600. In the second year, you save $6,000 again, but you get paid interest on the first years of savings and the second year of saving. That money that you had saved the previous year pays you again just for sitting there. And the money that had grown from the previous year, that 600 bucks. So remember we got, we turned 6,000. This is kind of hard without visuals, but it's a podcast. Stick with me. That 6,000 turned into 6,600. This is a lot of numbers. That 600 free bucks from the first year, that pays you too. So it's, it's like, it's a snowball effect and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And, and, you know, unfortunately it's just math. You know, like I said, Warren Buffett made 99% of his wealth after the age of 55. Like the longer you stick with it, the faster it's going to grow. And it's frustrating to people at the beginning of this process where they're like, I don't have, you know, I don't have time. I want to be rich now, but the it's, you just can't, that's not how it works. You know, sorry. Like, you know, I know a lot of ways to get rich and none of them happen overnight. None of them even happen in a year. Even like, you know, I sold a company. It took me 12 years to grow that company. And, you know, I'm all huge fan of entrepreneurship. We can talk about that too, but I'm going to give tell you the same thing. It's about just like hustling and grinding and doing it over a long period of time. And so compound growth is just like this exponential math equation of, the longer money sits in the account and it collects interest and the interest collects interest and the snowball starts to like gain momentum, the more you get. And, and the important part is just to get, get started as early as you can. I, it, it's such a great metaphor for everything else in life where if you if you want to be good at something you have to put in the time there's no shortcut we make this really good like chicken soup and you have to cook the carcass down and that takes several hours and then you cook the soup and that takes several hours until like you can't hurry this process up or the soup is going to suck it's it's not gonna it's not gonna taste very good and it, it's it's so interesting in this world where we're always looking for the quick fix or the simple way through like you don't get any anything meaningful without putting in the work or putting in the time. And it sounds like finances are exactly the same. Totally. Like you look at, you know, bodybuilders or something and you look like Ronnie Coleman or someone who's like a global bodybuilding champ. And you're like, Oh man, how did he do that? I wish I looked like that. I mean, I don't know if everyone wants to look like him necessarily, but you know, you, I could imagine someone saying that and you know, how'd he get there? It's like one day at a time is how he got there. You know, he's been doing it for a long time. He like works. It's like, it's consistency and intensity and any one day of his probably doesn't look all that extraordinary. You know, like I'm sure he eats well and goes to the gym a lot, but like if I did that for a week, nothing would really change. But if I did that for 15 years, I'd probably start to look, you know, like the awkward white version of Ronnie Coleman. <laughs> yeah, totally. I mean, and, and you look at any one of those workouts, you're right. It probably wasn't that exciting. It was probably a little bit boring. There were probably days when his alarm rang at 5am and he didn't really want to get up, but he showed up to do the work every single day. And, and, 
and consistently over time. And so I think that's a really great point and a really great metaphor. You mentioned, um, you know, obviously investing early. What other mistakes do you see people make with finances? Uh, maybe that's kind of an obvious question, but I'm, I'm curious to know, like, what, what simple things do you see people goofing up a lot? So many, so many. How, I mean, <laughs> what, what you said, we have one week for this podcast. Maybe I can squeeze it in. Um, I mean, I'll start with the big one. The big one is just not living below your means. You know, um, you know, I, I'm an academic. I like talking about the nuances of like mutual funds versus index funds and expense ratios and Roth versus traditional, like all that. You can just flush all that shit right down the toilet if you're not, if you're spending as much as you make or spending more than you make. Right. And so it, it's just so critical. And so, for example, like let's say you make half a million dollars a year, you're just crushing it. You're a super powered lawyer, surgeon, or something like that. And then you, and you're like, you know what? I'm a super powered lawyer, surgeon. I'm going to, I'm going to live like it. You buy the big house, you buy the country club subscription or membership, you buy the vacation home, yada, yada, yada. And you can easily, I mean, there's just the three things I just mentioned. You're probably already spending more than half a million dollars a year. And so this guy or this girl who just make all this money at the end of the year, they're broke. You know, you can make half a million dollars and easily be broke. And on the flip side, if you make 60 grand a year, 50 grand a year, and you spend every penny, you're broke too. But if you, if you make 60 grand a year and you spend 40 grand a year, you know, when I start talking about these kinds of numbers, people often get uncomfortable, like, oh my God, 60 grand a year, 40 grand a year. But I, there are people who make 40 grand a year and live their lives. So if you make 60 and you just live like someone who's making 40 and you invest 20 grand a year, 20 grand a year will make you like $10 million over the course of your career. Like you can become like a multi, multi millionaire just by investing. And that's on a 60,000 salary, right? Or what if you make $60,000 a year, work a side hustle and pick up $10,000 a year, invest that, make $5 million over the course of your career. And so, you know, the, the biggest mistake is just spending all your money. And this is, it's like, you know, living beyond your means, any sort of debt, you know, borrowing money, buy cars, racking up the credit card debt, um, you know, buying a home that's too big, renting too much apartment, buying too much car. Like, and we all, you know, common like wisdom society the media friends like just the world we live in is just like this world of consume 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 like we talk about cars we talk about houses we talk about vacations we talk about you know you just have to like internalize just to dial it back a little bit it's not that you can't enjoy your life you know by the way if you think you're going to enjoy life more by buying having by having a better car you're not like you know that's not going to make you happier it's just going to make you poorer um, so you have to just have to learn how to dial that back a little bit. And that's, that's the biggest mistake I see is like just spending all your money. Mm. That was the greatest gift of the pandemic. I mean, we, we were both working for the same corporation and we both were unemployed. <laughs> so we have no job and you know, the gift to be able to sit down and be really thoughtful about what we wanted life to look like and what our budget actually was. If you asked me in February of 2020, what our budget was, I would have no idea. I would have no answer for you. And sitting down and like adding up all the bills and deciding like how much money we needed in one particular day of work, that was the greatest gift. That number ended up being far less than what I thought it was and, and gave us permission to open a business and work in a style that we wanted to work. And I, I, I don't know, I don't see a lot of people sitting down and taking the time to budget out their lives. Is that, is that something you notice as well? Yeah. I mean, you know, very few people budget. And I also am realistic that about the fact that very few people are like ever going to budget. Um, you know, it's just like one of those things you can, you can wag your finger at people and say budget all day. And, and a lot of people just never will. Um, but I think the important part is just to make sure to, you know, pay yourself first or to set some money aside. And so if you're bringing home 3000 a month, you know, take 500 a month 
and then put it into a different account, invest it, save it, get it out of there. And then at least, you know, then you're living on less. I mean, if you guys want to actually budget, like you guys didn't understand, I mean, just having that awareness is great. Cause then you, like you said, you understand like where you're at and what you, what you need to spend and what, what you can do. Um, but yeah, so if you, it's so important, like, like I said, money is this like thing that kind of like is this primary attention to all our lives. And so many of us just like get a paycheck, like open up our bank app, look at what's in our checking account and then kind of, you know, think in their head, uh, do I have enough money for this trip? Yeah, I guess, you know, it's like such a limited view into that data is, is, uh, is not a good way to go about it. Mm. I'm wondering too, if you notice this as well, like once you start living on less, you actually want less things. Did you go through any of like, like waves of minimalism and, and getting rid of some of the stuff you already had? Yeah. I think that's true for investing too. Like once you kind of like dip a tone it, it starts to like go faster. So I, I feel like a lot of people at the beginning of this journey, they project, you know, using an online calculator or something like that, like how much money that they have and how much money they're saving. And then they see where they're going to get. But once they start, like you said, it kind of like, you know, you develop a taste for it and you're like, oh, okay, I, I like minimalism. I like, you know, my life is actually better when I'm not like always chasing more stuff and, and feeling bad about what I don't have. I actually feel better. And I actually like seeing instead of my hard earned, like going slaving away at a job and seeing all my money get burned on, you know, endless Amazon packages arriving at my door, or whatever. I actually like seeing it go into an account and build wealth so that I don't have to work for a living soon. Um, and so it actually tends to uh, accelerate. Um, and like my personal journey was a little weird because I, I became rich overnight. You know, I was like, just after I've been saying you can't do it overnight after I should say after 12 years of working yeah, my ass yeah, off, that's fair. I, um, I sold my company and I basically got paid in one day. And, um, and from the day that we like, we shook hands, I sold my company for $5 million in 2015. But from the day we shook hands on that purchase price to the day that like the bank wire came into my account was about like three and a half months, just it's like, you know, those things move slowly. There's due diligence. They wanted to move into a different quarter or financial quarter or whatever. Um, and so I had like a long time to basically worry about it, first of all. And second of all, like reflect on like, what am I going to do? And like during that few months, I actually like kind of got sick of the money. Like the money I didn't even have yet. You know, like I, I thought I could go into a, you know, a Ferrari dealership and buy whatever Ferrari I want, you know? And, uh, and then I was, then I was like, I just kept doing these like thought experiments. Then what? Where would I park it? I always feel like a gigantic douchebag when I like, drive up to my friend's, drove up to my friend's house. I was like, look at my Ferrari. And they're like, okay. I was like, yeah, yeah. I bought it with money. They're like, okay, yeah. I like look, look how empty I am inside that I had to like, buy, you know, like it's just it's not my style. I'm not really a car guy. You know, I, I was like, you know. I mean, maybe some people love Ferraris and that's their dream and maybe that would make them really happy. I don't know. But for me, it just seems so empty. And so like over the course of these months where I was like doing these thought experiments, like what I was going to spend the money on, you kind of realize that like the opportunities to like really convert money to happiness are not as common as it seems. You're like buying a Ferrari would not make me happier. I think it'd probably like make my life worse. Um, you know, for sure, like travel and experiences, I do that. But even like travel, it's like, you know, if you go on a trip, with like really good friends and you like stay in this budget Airbnb and you like go on hikes and like play games and I like that could be the trip of your life. Or if you like don't have friends and you fly first class to like a lonely hotel and get, you know, 
get a you know five star hotel room, like maybe that would suck. Maybe it'd be really sad, right? So it's like it's not less about just like what you spend and more about like you know how you go about it and who you're with and stuff. Mm, I totally agree. My taste for travel has completely changed during the pandemic. I learned that travel in the past was like a way to escape a, a life that I was just throttling so hard and working so many hours. I needed an escape versus like why not wake up and like check out your neighborhood, like go on a walk and see all the cool and interesting things that are near you. Definitely doesn't feel like I need to travel nearly as much or spend a lot of money to have those experiences. It's more about like realizing those experiences are happening around you for you all the time. And just to sit down and kind of appreciate that. Do you, do you find that to be the same? Totally. I think that if you like reflect on your own life and think about like the moments of your life where you're happiest or that were the most memorable or, or, you know, whatever they were the best, like very rarely do they involve money or stuff. Right. Um, it's not like, oh man, when I bought that remote controlled helicopter, I really, uh, found true happiness in this life. You know what I mean? I don't know. That's pretty close. Uh, I mean, that sounds pretty happy. <laughs> yeah. I actually, I mean, I remember as a kid, I was like, Ooh, if I had a remote control helicopter, I, that was like before drones and stuff existed, which man, if I was a kid, how cool would drones be? Oh, but, man. um, <laughs> I know. So maybe, maybe if you're, if you're listening to this and you're 12 and you want a drone, okay, maybe that would be true happiness for you. I don't know. Um, but I, I think for you know, most people like, you know, it doesn't really come from money it comes from experiences like, yeah, like, like laughing with friends and, and yet yeah, going on hikes or going on walks or, you know, just like ex- experiencing new things or just, you know, these, these moments like good food or whatever. Um, but doesn't that's, you know, it doesn't even need to be like expensive food. Like could, you made a great meal at home or whatever. Mm. So if we go back in your history, what else did anything else really change for you functionally when like all of a sudden you're a millionaire, you have all this money, you work so hard to build up your business. Like did anything else change for you? It took, you know, it took a while for it to sink in, to be honest, like the, the day I actually have a video on my Instagram where it shows like my bank account going from very little to like millions of dollars, you know, you just look at that big number and you're like, what is that? You know, is that a lot of money? Like, what, what does this mean? Um, and over the course of like a couple of years, I was like, Oh, I think I'm, you know, that number <laughs> keeps going up even if I'm not working. Um, and so it didn't, nothing really changed fast. I never like friendships didn't really change. I didn't like, you know, some people who make a lot of money say that they've got like friends and families coming out of the woodwork asking for money. Like I haven't had any of that like the occasional very weird Instagram DM or something where people ask for money. <laughs> That's so funny. I I mean, <laughs> you can't make that kind of stuff up. I know you're not lying about that because you, you can't make that stuff up. Uh, the truth is stranger than fiction. Some of those things. That's so funny. Um, so, so, did you, you mentioned being an entrepreneur, which I really love. And I, it's been an interesting journey to start our own business and get into it. Um, did you already know that you were going to start other businesses after you quote unquote retired? Uh, I didn't know. I, you know, my first company, which was called rent links was not a very super well-designed company. I kind of just like fell into it and was like young and I was just trying to make something work and, you know, credit to myself for being uh, persistent and like sticking with it. That's like the only credit I can give myself. I should say I wasn't like a real visionary. I always imagined I would like take what I learned from that business now as like more in the prime of my career with a little bit of experience behind me and like start the big one. Um, but I wasn't, you know, I didn't know for sure. And now actually I'm starting two companies and yeah, I don't know. You kind of just like, I, for a year I did nothing. I traveled, I played video games and then I kind of got bored of that and didn't really want my life to be a guy that just did nothing all the time. And so, um, and I, 
can't really ever see myself. Yeah. I don't think I could ever just have a job again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That doesn't, it's not to my taste. I just <laughs> like the idea of, I mean, maybe like working for a nonprofit or something like really interesting. I don't know, but like, just, just like going to a job doesn't, yeah, not to my taste, I guess. So, so then what do you do? I guess you start companies. That's, that's kind of, that's kind of the logic I went into it the first time too, which is I didn't want a job and I, I wasn't able just to just like go and like travel at that time. So I was like, guess I'll start a company. Mm. Well, when did personal finance club become something that you were interested in and wanted to start and wanted to share your knowledge in? Uh, it was almost three years ago. January of 2019 is when I started my Instagram account and just started posting like daily personal finance and investing tips. Um, and that was never, that was just purely me. I was literally doing it for fun because I like it and it was a hobby. And, um, at the, you know, at the time of, I had a friend ask like what I wanted to be when I grew up. Cause like, she knew that I was like unemployed and, you know, had options. And I said, I'd love to like teach people about personal finance or maybe even like host a podcast or host a show or something. Um, and she's like, that's not crazy. I was like, yeah, that isn't crazy. So I was like, all right, I'll start Instagram. And that's like where millennials were spending most of their time at the time. Maybe if I was doing it from scratch today, I'd probably start a TikTok. But, um, uh, yeah. And then I just did that for two years with like no expectation of ever like turning it into a business necessarily. I just wanted to like, you know, I didn't need money and it was cool to like have followers and be a little 40 year old Instagram influencer. Um, and then, yeah, then a year ago, I, I turned into a business kind of by mistake because I, I decided to sell this course so I could, you know, donate some of the proceeds and, um, you know, hire someone to help create more content, stuff like that. Well, I can't recommend the course highly enough to listeners. I've tried to review it anywhere that I possibly could because it is very well done on both the course and your Instagram page. You make all of this seem very, very simple. And your, you know, the photos you use, the the pictures you use, infographics, they're really well done and easy to understand. Why was that so important for you to choose that type of style to help people learn? Part of it was just a learning process. Um, You know, it's, I have three years with a post now, so it's kind of hard to get to the beginning. But at the beginning, I remember I posted a video that said something like, is this a good time to get into like intermittent or intermediate treasury bonds or something like that? Um, And that was like one of like the little videos I made. And it was just like total crickets. And I was like, okay, this isn't connecting with an audience. Why? And, you know, after trying to like, you know, talking to people and, and experimenting with other stuff, I realized it's because nobody knows what a bond is, you know, like, how can I, how can I possibly be like trying to like have a conversation about like, is it a good time to time the bond market if no one even knows what a bond is? And so I've like realized that to this day, I wish I could make it even simpler. Like there's no amount of simplicity that I've like gone too far. It's like, what is a stock? You know, what is money? is saving good one plus one equals two. I don't know. Like, you know, what's, what's like the simplest I can make it. And and it just connects with people because I, I think the world of investing is so, you know, on the surface, apparently complex. And so when you get to these like little core truths of it, it's like, if you save money, compound growth, buying things that go up in value, like, you know, just these core things. And then you like eventually paint the full picture of like how to open an account, what to buy, leave your money and et cetera. Um, and then I think it kind of like the, the, the picture becomes clear. And so, um, yeah, but that, and Instagram, like I'm, I'm like not a graphic designer and haven't traditionally been at least, and not a very visual person and not like a social media person. And, but Instagram does like force your hand to keep things super simple, right? Like trying to like 
describe the complexity of investing in the U.S. stock market in a little, you know, 1080 by 1080 pixel square um, is a challenge. And so, kind of like those, like guardrails, kind of force you to keep it simple. Wow. Well, you have definitely accomplished that purpose over time. I mean, you're, it is just so really easy to understand and I can intake something really quickly. Um, to hear you say that you're not a graphics designer and you're not good at social media, that is totally shocking to me and I think speaks volumes to how much work you put in this over time and how much you've wanted to improve this. What is your goal with the course itself over time? Or is that something you're looking to refine, make more simple? Are you going to make a second one or just keep the one that you have? So, uh, you know, everyone who buys the course sales pitch, you get unlimited lifetime access and our plan is to kind of re-release it at least once a year. So it's got updated tax numbers and everything for every year. And so, um, you know, we're kind of already looking, we're already eyeing that. So we're going to do like kind of a relaunch in January, uh, of 22. Uh, by the way, I don't know if you've experienced this in the fitness world, but in the personal finance world, like January, February is when like everyone wants to get their finances in order. It's like <laughs> after like... Christmas where you're like getting fat and spending all your money. Like everyone wants to like get in shape and save money in January. <laughs> totally. It's like a lot of parallels there, I think. Totally. Um, and so, yeah, for us, from a business perspective, it's like our best opportunity to like connect with people and, and like get them, you know, either to follow or, or buy the course or whatever. Um, and then, yeah, we might, you know, we could do go so many ways. Like I literally have a list of 50 different ways to like grow this business. Um, we might do like a, a corporate, a uh, program where we could do education like as part of a, you know, corporate HR benefit. We could do, I thought about doing like, um, like an Uber of financial advisors where instead of having like, you know, walk into a, an, uh, an office and pay thousands of dollars, like you could just like connect with someone over zoom in a moment and like ask them about your Roth IRA or whatever. Um, we could, we could move into like real estate where like, you know, the two things that I think are good investments are index funds and investment real estate. And so I haven't done the real estate side of that yet. Um, we could do that. Um, you know, there's, there's endless opportunities and just a matter of, you know, focus and execution. That's amazing. So cool that you're, you know, in the process of ideating so many different things and not really closing any doors to anything. I really love that. Do have to ask you, um, since you are a very healthy looking 41 year old, you look like you're about half that age. Um, what other life and health fitness principles do you bring into your life that have the most value to you? Thanks. No one ever asked me about, fit, about <laughs> fitness. Um, yeah, I was a college track star, so I still actually hold a school record at the University of Michigan for the uh, 600 meter dash. I was uh, pretty fast back Wait, in the day. Six, 600? Yeah, I know it's weird. There's a 400, oh. 800, but but indoors in college, there's a 600. So I was like a 400, 800 guy, but oh 600 God. was like my perfect event. That sounds um, terrible. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I loved it. But yeah, it's definitely like painful. Uh, <laughs> wow, that's crazy. Do you run yeah. to this day? No, I mean, you know, I'm not a good runner anymore, but I do work out. I like beach volleyball is kind of like my main sport. I work, I try to work it every day. I have like, I have a barbell. I do, you know, burpees and I do like a lot of like CrossFit inspired stuff without necessarily every day as a competition type mentality. Um, you know, I still do like yoga and sometimes run hike, you know, fitness is like a big part of my life. And, um, yeah, I mean, if you're not fit, then you're, you know, you have nothing. Like if you're not healthy, you have nothing. There's no point to money if you're like bedridden or whatever. And so you gotta, and un, un, unlike compound growth, it gets better over time, you know, fitness never, never takes care of itself and it, and it never gets better over time. So you gotta, you gotta just 
it's got to be on, on the ride for the journey for your whole life. Mm, I love that. And then it also becomes its own reward. Like moving is so enjoyable. You, you, even if it wasn't improving your fitness, you would do it just for the enjoyment of it. I'm curious, you mentioned kind of like an upward spiral. How, how does nutrition fit into um, your health and fitness goals? I try to eat healthy. You know, I definitely love um, desserts. And so oftentimes that is like my downfall, but I limit it. And other, otherwise, generally, yeah, I just try to like eat super healthy, like vegetable heavy diet. I'm not vegetarian, but I, you know, respect vegetarians, um, you know, lean meats. I don't know. It's like kind of like, just like with my Instagram account, when I started, I like read the instructions on how to like grow an Instagram. There's not like one set of instructions, but you like, you read from people who have been really successful and read what they've written or read the books, like same with fitness, right? It's like, you read the instructions. You're like, okay, people eat like vegetables, lean meats, uh, like whole grains, uh, you know, and then they work out and then they get super fit, you know, it's not rocket scientists. Yeah. Just very simple and repeating the process that works for you. I think that's amazing. That's wonderful advice. One, one term with money that I have a tough time grappling with is enough. Um, you know, for people who are really driven and they, they want to be successful, they want to, you know, earn money for various purposes. How do people know when they have reached enough? Yeah. There's like this great story that I, ah, I feel like I'm going to, I'm going to say the wrong author, but it was like maybe Joseph Heller who wrote, uh, catch 22 or something. Um, but there's a, there's a famous author, some him or someone like him who was at this like billionaire's charity event or dinner or something like that. And he was talking to someone and, and the, and this guy said to this author, um, are you annoyed that this billionaire and like a day in his hedge fund made more money than you made in the entirety of your, like, you know, best-selling classic book. And the author said, he said, I have something that he'll never have. And his answer was like, what do you have that he can never have? And the, the author said enough, because if you don't have enough, like if, even if you're a billionaire and you don't think you have enough, then you just are just forever unsatisfied and forever. And, and I mean that in a bad way too. Like, you know, there's part, there's part, you know, it's partly good to be ambitious and be hungry and always looking to grow and improve. But like, if financially you like never are satisfied with how big your house is or how nice your car is or how much money is in your bank or whatever, you know, like then you'll just never be rich. You know, you'll never be wealthy because you'll just be poorer than the next guy that you're, that you're comparing yourself to. And so I think you have to like, you know, be willing to accept that you have enough at some point and like find happiness there. Like, and, and I think those thought experiments I do help me. Cause like right now I live in this two bedroom condo in San Diego. It's very nice, like way nicer than I thought I could afford before I sold my company ever. And sometimes I like, I, the bigger house down the street or like, you know, what if I moved or what if I had like a better garage or whatever? And then it's like, that wouldn't be enough. You know, then what I I've had, just have more problems. I have to have like a cleaner housekeeper to like manage all that stuff. And so Um, you know, you just kind of have to like be centered and say, Hey, like, I'm happy with this. Not that you shouldn't strive to like improve your life, but that you just like, if you always think that happiness is over the next stuff, you're like, never going to have, never going to be happy. That is such a great point. Such a thoughtful answer. I really appreciate that. I love the story about the authors. I think I just heard that not too long ago. It could have been, um, uh, mentioned by Ryan holiday and stillness is a key or something. Um, 
it, it's it's a really good um I think it's a really good story. It's a really good analogy that proves your point. Like if you if you're always chasing after more, you're going to be chasing ghosts. It's just it's you're not going to be happier, you know, when the grass is greener. It's never going to be. It's about being happy now. And yeah. I I think you've done such a great job, you know, kind of sharing that message and helping people understand that yes, we want to invest our money. Yes, we want to make money. Money is not evil in and of itself and it can do a lot of really great and useful things. I'm I'm curious to know also what is your favorite thing to do with money? Favorite thing to do with money, maybe travel. Like I said, I'm all, you know, I always look for an opportunity to like convert money to happiness. Maybe, I guess maybe help people is like, that's probably where I, yeah. I mean, in the last year I've spent maybe $50,000 on my living and I've donated 120,000. So I, I think like giving is probably more than, than spending is my favorite thing. Um, and then otherwise, yeah, just helping people like, uh, my girlfriend's moving right now and I was able to just like go and like buy a bunch of like brand new, she could probably hear this and she was going to be like, that wasn't all that helpful. But, um, <laughs> I like I went to home Depot and is like bought a bunch of boxes and tape and like, you know, and like but back in the day, I would like troll Craigslist looking for free boxes. Like who would pay, who would pay for boxes? Like what an idiot. And now it's like, you know what? I'm just going to like have just like a nice stack of brand new boxes from home Depot. It's going to make, it's going to make moving suck just a little bit less because moving sucks so much. Um, sucks. And so, yeah, it's the, it's the worst. And so stuff like that, where you can just be like, you know what, like this little thing, that's not that big of a deal that I can just relax a little bit about is going to make life a little bit better. Um, that kind of stuff is nice to do. I love that, man. This has been an awesome conversation. I'm curious to know if you had one simple tip for the listener, um, that they could take and apply in their lives from this conversation. What would that one tip be? I got to give you two because every single, every single post, every single interview I do, I always end with my two rules of building wealth. Rule number one is to live below your means. We talked about that. You got to spend less than you make. If you don't, you're going to be broke forever. And rule number two is invest early and often. So you spend less than you make, you invest the difference. That's how rich people get rich. Everything else is nonsense. Everything else is speculation. Everything else is gambling. You spend less than you make, you invest the difference. That is the two rules of building wealth. Amazing. I love that. One of my favorite, <laughs> I meant to watch this before our interview. One of my favorite Saturday Night Live skits, I think it had uh, Steve Martin in it, was just like, here is a very simple rule of, of finances. If you don't have the money, then don't buy it. <laughs> nice. <laughs> it's, it's, it's interesting how often we forget that message and, and you do such a great job distilling it down into a very simple, you know, way to understand it. We really appreciate you and all the work that you do. Tell us again, where can we go to find you and find your work and connect with you? Yeah, on the internet, I'm known as Personal Finance Club. So personalfinanceclub.com. Most of the magic happens on Instagram at Personal Finance Club, or you can follow me on TikTok or YouTube or Facebook or wherever you get your social media. That's awesome. We will link to all of that in the show notes. I told you before we got on that if I you know, if nobody listens to this and, and I get the opportunity to thank you for your course, that that would be enough for me. And so again, from the bottom of my heart, thank you so much for you and your work. You make this really easy to understand. The course is worth every single penny. I highly, highly encourage the listener to go check it out. And Jeremy Schneider, thank you so much for your time and for all of your work and for appearing on our show today. We really appreciate it. Thanks, Casey. It was a pleasure. Thanks for having me. It was an absolute honor. And this has been another episode of Boundless Body Radio.
So thank you again so very much for listening to Boundless Body Radio. I can't thank you, the listener, enough. We are so grateful for you. This year, 2021, was amazing. We got to talk to so many amazing people around the world and got to learn so much from them. And we actually just passed 80,000 downloads worldwide, which I just, when I started this, could not even fathom that we could reach that many people with the message. And hopefully you have gotten a lot out of this, um, as, as have we. Um, as we start the new year, we just wanted to let you know about some of the resources that we offer at Boundless Body LLC. Please go to our website, which is myboundlessbody.com. That's myboundlessbody.com. You will see an option to book a complimentary 30-minute consultation with us so that we can discuss your goals with health and fitness and maybe help you create a plan for the new year. Bethany, my wife, also offers uh, virtual mat Pilates classes, which are absolutely amazing. They're very engaging and also very, very affordable. Those can be done live on Mondays and Fridays or also given out as a recording to do at your own convenience. We also offer training and meal planning services that are also done virtually from the safety of your own home. So if you want to avoid the busyness of a gym, we can help show you how to get really fantastic results at home with a very minimal amount of equipment. We've been doing it now for two years. We've gotten pretty good at it. So we are happy to show you that. Once again, that website is myboundlessbody.com. And if you are enjoying the show, please leave us a rating and review on Apple. It really helps um, get this passion project out to more people. So cheers to 2022. And thank you again for listening to Boundless Body Radio.